A few years ago, my guest Dan Ariely was on top of the world. He is one of the world's preeminent social scientists, author of many best-selling books, consults with companies and governments around the world. And he told me at the beginning of our podcast that he became extremely popular when COVID began. All these governments were asking him questions. Should we do fines? What do we do about distance education? What could make it work? What about working remotely versus working in the office? How do we reduce domestic violence when people are stuck at home? What do you do with prisoners? And Dan said he got a second phone. He stopped doing research teaching and just devoted his time to answering these questions based on what we know about behavioral science for the benefit of humanity. And then something weird started happening. People would contact him and say, Dan, what, what happened to you? What's, what's off? What's wrong? He's like, what do you mean? And they would send him links. When he checked them out, he was shocked because these web pages were portraying him as a villain, a villain who hated humanity, who had teamed up with Bill Gates and the Illuminati to kill and harm as many humans as possible. And the means of doing this was COVID and vaccines. And he was shocked, hurt, distressed. It was unfair. He'd, he'd given up everything, spending his life giving away free information, the, the best stuff he knew to help people. And here he was in increasingly large communities being portrayed as a supervillain. And what came out of this eventually is the book we're going to talk about today, Misbelief, Why Rational People Believe Irrational Things. But we're going to get into Dan's story, what happened, how he tried to convince these people that they were wrong, why that was a terrible idea, what he learned when he dove into the social science instead of just trying to, you know, beat down the doors of people's cognitive defenses and making them understand the truth, what he discovered about what are the real root causes of people believing insane, unsubstantiated, crazy stuff. A lot of the conversation is about this, but we recorded uh, just less than two weeks after the October 7th Hamas attacks on Israel. And we also get into why so many um, college students immediately took to the streets in support of Hamas, another example of a kind of uh, misbelief, given both the barbarity of the Hamas attacks and the, um, the Hamas ideology, which is pretty much the exact opposite of what a progressive left-wing liberal in the Western world would believe. Um, trigger warning. Dan describes what we knew then about the Hamas attacks in very graphic terms. If that is the sort of thing that you do not want to expose yourself to, then please do not listen to this episode. Um, another thing is that this information um, from the end of October, we've obviously had a lot of um, news since then. Um, horrible news about the conflict, about what is going on in Gaza, uh, about the Israeli hostages still being held. And I'm imagining that some of this is going to sound dated to people after a couple of months now. And so um, I'm struggling with how to discuss any of this publicly. Um, I'm not well informed. Uh, everybody I talk to on whatever side of the issue seems to know more than I do, can, can 
trot out more facts, more data, more historical context. And I just sort of nod and take it all in. And I just want to say that I am utterly heartbroken at the barbarity, at the suffering, at the callousness and the, the lack of willingness to see the other side as human. Um, and I'm saying that on both sides. But um, I know people have very strong opinions. I'm imagining that after this um, introduction and after this interview that I'm going to lose um, listeners. And all I can say is I wish, I wish everyone you know, well on your journey, and I'm here to keep learning and to keep listening. So with that as your introduction, let's hear from Dan Ariely about his experiences with the world of misbelievers. So without further ado... Dan Ariely, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Lovely, lovely to be here. Uh, complex times, but uh, good to see your face and uh, wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, great. Yeah, these are, I mean, when I, when I reached out to you, I just started reading your new book, uh, Misbelief, uh, What Makes Rational People Believe Irrational Things. And I thought we were going to talk in general about QAnon and vaccines and the, the ways that you personally have been caught up in in the craziness. And then, you know, last week, um, you know, Hamas uh, committed these atrocities, and I'm seeing I'm seeing all sorts of horrifying blowback in communities and people, you know, believing what they want to believe. So um, it seems very very scary, very timely. And, you know, one, one of the things you point out is that complexity here is a, a feature, not a bug, um, which I think we'll, we'll get to. But first, I just um, I'm imagining that people know know who you are. And if not, you know, pause the video and go Google. You'll find all sorts of stuff. But um, what tell maybe just begin with the story of how you got involved in, you know, the, the international conspiracy to. Uh, <laughs> destroy us all to do this. So, so maybe, maybe as a general introduction, so my name is Dan Ariely. I'm a, I'm a social scientist. I, I, I'm the James B. Duke professor of psychology and behavioral economics. And in general, I work on behavioral change. And uh, when COVID started, I became uh, very popular. Uh, I got hmm. uh, lots I got lots of lots of questions from lots of governments, and you know the the amount of questions were incredible. Should we do fines? Um, what about distant education? Working remotely? How should we compensate people? How do we reduce domestic violence? What do we do with prisoners? I mean, the questions were there were a lot of them, and they were amazing. And I, I kind of felt I was at the top of my career. I was, I had two phones. I was um, trying <laughs> to answer as many things as possible. And this was going on every day. I was doing nothing. I stopped everything else. I was doing nothing by answering questions from around the world about how do we, how do we create these behavioral changes that we wanted to be create and how do we not create bad ones like domestic violence? Anyway, um, this is happening for a few months, three months. And then all of a sudden, I get an email from somebody I once knew. And she said, Dan, what happened to you? And very quickly, I said, what do you mean? What happened to me? And she sent me a long list of, of links. And I'll just describe one of them. In that link, it showed pictures of me in hospital yeah, when I was uh, 
young, I was badly burned. Most of my body is covered with scars, including this side of my face. That's why I don't have hair on this side. Anyway, it shows pictures of me in hospital. True. It says I was in hospital for three years. True. 70% of my body burned. True. But then it said that because of that, I started hating healthy people. Not true. Mm. And I joined Bill Gates and the Illuminati trying to kill as many healthy people as possible. And that's what COVID is about. And that's what the vaccine will be about. Anyway, there were many links with this, with not, not all the same story, but all portraying me as a, as a villain. And my first reaction was to correct him. But then, then I thought better of it. And I decided to consult some friends who are experts in, in PR and, and those sorts of things. And I consulted with them and everybody said the same thing. Don't touch it. Don't talk to them. Don't touch it. Let it go. But even though I'm very proud that I went to get advice, I was, <laughs> I couldn't take that advice. Um, you know, there was something in me that cried for the injustice. Like here I was waking up every day trying to do good. And these people were thinking I was doing evil. Mm. And, and it was impossible for me to accept that they will not be convinced if I only prove things to them. So I went, I went into this. I called some of them. Uh, one of them came to my house. Uh, I met with a few other people. I joined online groups. I joined discussion groups, Telegram. And I failed miserably. I failed miserably. I, I, I can't even describe the degree to which I, I failed. But I spent about a month trying to convince them they were wrong. And after about a month, I gave up on convincing them. But I sat back and I started studying them. I started trying to understand what was going on in, in the groups and discussions. Um, there are about 20 of them that I talk to on a regular basis and trying to understand how did this thing happen? How did this thing happen? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, we, we heard about QAnon, but here is somebody who thinks that I am trying to kill their kids and I'm talking to them and I'm showing them my calendar. I said, no, that's not true. And here's, this is not true. And, and I can't convince them of anything. <laughs> And, and I just had to study this. I just had to understand it. And this book is really kind of my, my summary of how does it happen? Uh, mm. How does it happen that, you know, five years ago, we all had people that we thought, thought exactly like us and saw the world exactly like we did. And then now we look at these people and we say, <laughs> what's the, the color of the sky in their world? How, how did I ever think that I was the same type of a person? That we look at them and we say, we, we can't possibly be the same species. Even there's something so fundamentally wrong in how we look at the world, interpreting it and coming up with such different conclusions. And, and this, book, this book is really about understanding their journey. It's also about understanding the nature of preferences and the importance of trust and so on. But it's about saying that we look at those people and we say, we're not the same, but we don't truly understand the journey that they have gone through. And, and what we need to understand is that 
misbeliefs or conspiracies are not for nothing. We, we should not discount them and we should not discount those people. We should understand that they are attempts to fulfill real needs. Okay, those people have real needs for something. The solution that they find is not a good solution. They find these, these misbeliefs. I wish they found something else, but it's, it, it's answering a real need. And that's how we need to understand those. Yeah, it's interesting. I just got to the part in the book where you're comparing the, the funnel of misbelief, specifically around villainy, to OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Yep. Last week, I interviewed a coach who works with people with OCD. And what came out there, again, is exactly the same thing, that these behaviors are all coherent. That if you're in that person's head, they are doing something good in the moment. Yep. Um, and, you know, so like as someone who's, who help, who's coaches and helps people, like it's a superpower to see everyone's behavior as coherent. That's and right. yet until I started reading your book, I had a, a line at which I was like, well, I can't excuse that. I can't forgive that. I can't I don't even want to lend credence. I don't I don't even I don't even want to understand. And yet here yeah. here you are getting death threats from people. And I imagine there must have been you know, great betrayal in the people that you had, you, know, you talk about one woman, like you, you give her advice for free. You, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you get well paid to go all over the world and give advice and you're sharing for free with this person. And, and yet, um, you know, you're, you're driven to look for that coherence. Yeah. You know, um, so first of all, it didn't start like this, right? It was a journey. Um, by the way, death threats, are very shaking. It's very, very shaking uh, because it's, it's tough. Like, you know, like somebody described to me the guillotine they were building for me. That was just very tough. It was, it's, and, and even if I don't really believe them, it's still tough. By the way, the last one I got was about three weeks ago. Uh, I used to get them once a day. Now, now they're lower frequency, but they're still coming from time to time. It, there's something very shaking about this. But for me, there was one, there was one night that I talked to one of the misbelievers, and what I understood on that night, this was a woman. What I understood on that night is that it's an awful choice to be a misbeliever. That. Um, that basically imagine, imagine somebody who believes in God. Uh, somebody who believes in God says, you know, the world is basically a good place. Mm. Um, there's usually an entity that cares about me. Yes, sometimes there's a devil, but generally it's a good, it's, somebody is, it has a positive outlook and protecting me. If you believe in conspiracies, let's just say you believe that, you know, planting G5s in, in the vaccine, you think that there are people with real evil intent and they are powerful and they're devious and they're after you and they're after your kids. It's a terrible way to live. Like nobody would choose that, right? Nobody would choose that. And we understood what it feels like, what it must feel like to wake up in a, in a conspiracy mindset I started really feeling sorry for them. By the way, I mm. <laughs> sometimes felt sorry for myself. But, but, um, but in addition, I felt that they they got a very bad deal. 
So, yeah, before we go into that, um, did it, I mean, I'm, I'm telling myself that it must have made you feel better in some way to be able to extend to them what they were unable to extend to you, to extend, un, you know, an attempt to understand, um, some empathy, and, and even, um, you know, positive motivation, even though it was terribly misguided. I'm wondering, like, what, what was, yeah. what was your, ex your own psychological experience about reaching out to these people who, who wished you nothing but harm? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it took me a while to answer this question that you're just answering. So, so let, me, let me take it slowly because it's important. <laughs> so, so why do people look for a villain? Um, so, so basically, people are stressed. We can talk about more about this, but people are stressed. They feel hard done by. They feel they're not getting their share. And they look for an answer. They're unsatisfied with life sucks, and they feel that they need an answer. And because they're feeling negative, it has to be a villain. It can't be a positive force, right? So it's a villain. And they also are looking for a complex story. Why complex? Usually we think that people like simple stories. Why in this case they like complex? Because complex gives them a sense of superiority. Society is looking at me down, that I don't understand things, I think vaccines are killing, whatever. You don't understand. The real story is much more complex and much more interesting and much hmm. more involved and so on. And it gives people a sense. So there's a need for a story, a need for a villain, and a need for complexity or feeling that I'm in... I understand things that other people that other people don't. So, so that's really the drive. Now, if you think about it, I was in the same boat. I was in the same boat. I was feeling hard done by, attacked for no good reason. In fact, very much for, for the wrong reason. I didn't understand why, why me, how they were making up stuff. And I went in search for a villain, but, but my villain, and partially it's, <laughs> it's my training as a social scientist, my, my villain is human nature. <laughs> you know, I, I went for, for a search about what is it about human nature that allows for that behavior. But, you know, and I found it. <laughs> I found a story and I found a villain and it's a complex story, right? It has many, many components. Um, but it really mimics, I think, what they were looking for. Only when, you know, when, when those people say, I'm doing my own research, they don't mean they, they do their own research. Um, but but it, was, it was my journey to try and, and really understand and understand that world. And you, can't, you can't go on a journey to understand anything from a social science perspective by, by not trying to understand the perspective of... The, the people who are committing those actions. So, so I had to take this perspective as a, as a social scientist um, in, in, this, in this search. Mm. That's, that's so interesting that you, you, know, you looked for a villain, but it was, also, it was also a villain for whom in each chapter there are positive steps, right, that the reader right. can then take. You, you, you talk about deep canvassing. Right, this idea of yeah. be asking curious questions to kind of you know almost like um, pull the you know help them feel heard and understood at least once in their lives by someone to be able to 
you know, let off steam or, 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 or ask questions that allow them to reflect on their own thinking. It's like, you know, the, the, like sometimes, sometimes there, there are bad things and there are bad stories, but the, I think the, the litmus test is, so what? what if, if that story is true, then what? And you've provided yes, a, a roadmap for like, if, if there's like, I just want everyone to like, we need an army of people who have the courage and the skill to do this because the world is tilting in, in the direction of so much in, increasing stress. Yeah, you know, and, and not just increasing stress, but, but we have a real challenge with technology. So, um, you know, the, the, the story about the funnel of misbelief, it's, it's a little bit, if, if you look at it, so I always thought about the cookie as a weaponized food. You know, somebody is designing the cookie with an ultimate combination of sugar, fat, and salt to make us want to eat one and then eat the next one and the next one and the next one. When you look at the funnel of misbelief, it's a much more complex system. It doesn't just attack taste buds and smell. It attacks a lot of our psychology. It's almost as if somebody designed, I don't think it's somebody designed it, but it, it's, it, it feels like it could have been designed to, to get us down the funnel of misbelief. It attacks mm. us at condition of stress when the most vulnerable. It builds on our cognitive limitation, uh, on our personality. It builds a social element that kind of seals the deal, that, that takes us away from the real world into a support of the virtual world, that gets us to be more extreme, that gets us to, to commit to things. It's a... Almost you could you could tell a story about about the design of a of a funnel of misbelief that was done um, uh, done done intentionally, and and technology plays a part of this. And when you think about what will happen with AI, um, you know usually we say, oh, if we could only replace people with technology, uh, things would be better. Uh, let's get people not to drive. Let's get technology to drive. Let's get people not to make spelling mistakes. Technology would fix it. We, we think that the human nature is, is the weak point and technology can, can fix it. I think in the way that um, information goes through society, um, I think it's the other way around. I think we are the strong link. And I think that as, as AI would become more and more powerful, uh, we, become, we will become more and more the, the strong link. The technology mm. would be much more fragile. Uh, just think about what happened to Twitter, X. Uh, since uh, many of the human uh, su supervisor of, of information were fired, Right. Uh, all of a sudden, technology is is getting worse and worse. It's it's the, the demand on us as people is getting increasingly stronger and more important. We have to figure out how we're going to fulfill this new role that we were given. Um, not we were not designed evolutionary for that. It's a very strange environment, but but it's on us, and technology mm -hmm. is fighting us, and we need we need to get better at this. Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, theorists like uh, Jaron Lanier will talk about the system, you know, like Facebook and the social medias were set up with a very simple AI algorithm 
to maximize attention for advertising purposes. And it turns out that when you maximize attention uh, and uh, engagement, yeah. that you're, the best way to do that is to push everybody's buttons to increase That's stress, right. hostility, right? So, so it doesn't matter whether, you know, it, it, it works as if it had been designed to destroy human relationships. That's right. That's right. In the same way that, that I think that the people who design the cookies just want to sell more cookies, but it turns out that sugar, <laughs> fat, and salt are, are the ways to do it. But as an example, think about the, the, this video I described about me. It's a 90-second video. Dan was injured, tough, difficult, three years, 70%. Okay, 15 seconds. Started hating people. Join mm -hmm. Bill Gates, the cabal, the Illuminati doing this damage. It's a 90-second video, but it's, it's a story about the creation of a villain. Mm. Now, <laughs> try to give me a good story, a positive story that is as interesting as this story in 90 seconds. <laughs> very, very tough. Very, very tough. The, the, the creation of a villain is a, just a very appealing genre. And if you can make it quick, it's very, very appealing. And now I have mm. this half a beard look and so on. It's, it's extra, um, extra powerful. So, so the, the, um, the, the medium is, is not pushing everything in an equal way. And it's not even just pushing simple stories over complex ones. There are stories, much like cookies, that, that push the right human buttons and are much, much more likely to get people to watch, much more likely to get people mm -hmm. to want to share, to spread. By the way, another thing that I don't think was designed, but just, just so happened is when you like something, what are you really saying? You could say, look at it, it's interesting. You can mm -hmm. say, I agree with it. You can say, I bet it's true. You could say it's ridiculous. Look at this. Mm. I mean, all of those things look like alike. Yeah. Which one is it? Um, it's a very ambiguous language that we use. And the moment you say, I don't care what you say. I only care if you press this button or not. And there could be lots of different reasons you press this button. Now we, now we get a very mixed signals. Like imagine that 90% of the people say this is ridiculous and 10% of the people say I, I, I agree with it. You're not going to be able to tell that. Mm. Uh, so something that just occurred to me when you described the 90-second video that was your villain creation story is that villain creation stories are only interesting because they have empathy in them. Right, like if you just said, like, oh, what, someone's what? a villain. They were born a villain. They've always been a villain. That's not very interesting. Yes, right? But there's like, like the people who are calling, you know, for terrible things to happen to you, begin with an empathetic story. The same way that you look at them, and and like, that's that's really yeah. ironic. Yeah, you know, there, there was um, there was a post uh, that somebody uh, made with he. He described my crimes against humanity. And um, he described all the cr my crimes against humanity. None of, none of course are true. 
And then he went to predict that there will be Nuremberg 2.0 trials, where everybody who committed atrocities against humanities during COVID will be tried. And he predicted that I would be tried as well. And he, he, he posed a question to his followers of whether they think I should get 30 years in prison or public hanging. And about a thousand people responded. And if you look at their responses, they were so positive, not to me, of course, to him. They congratulated him on his wisdom and insight and his writing and his skill and his all kinds of things like that. There were lots of heart emojis, all kinds of wonderful things. You know, if you just read the tone of the comments, you would think that these people are debating where to, to, <laughs> to get together to hand in flowers or to, to solve poverty or something. Now, in the same way that we said that conspiracies or misbeliefs are not for nothing, they come to fulfill a goal, when, when we see groups of people who are so positive to each other, we have to wonder why. What is the mm. function of this positivity? And if you think about it, you realize that these are people that society doesn't make them feel good about themselves. Society is trying to, to ostracize them. Right? Uh, Macron said that uh, people who are not vaccinated are not French. Uh, mm. but, but, you know, there's, there were lots of very, very negative sentiments against the COVID deniers, and it was very, very tough for them. So what, what did they do? They needed real support. They needed real hugging, and they found it. And that, of course push them further because now I have two communities. I have my family that, that makes fun of me about my beliefs about COVID. And I have this other group of people who congratulate me. Mm -hmm. What would I choose? Obviously. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's straight out of a cult playbook. And it, there are similarities. There are similarities in terms of the, the cult. Cults create a language and terminology and make it easier to communicate within the group than, than out of the group. A cult also benefit, of course, from being, be, people being ostracized and so on. And cults, although cults are a little bit more like religion in a sense that there is a leader and the leader is a good leader that wants your benefit. Right? So I, I think that cults are a different type of a response to, to a need, right? Because at, at the end of the day, you go to a cult because you think that the guru or whoever it is, the leader, is somebody who has extra insights about the world that understands something about the recipe for a good living. Hmm. Um, con conspiracies are different. Like, think about QAnon. It's... You know, yes, there's this mysterious queue uh, somewhere in the in the Trump administration, but but there's nothing good. There's nothing that you say this person has cracked the code for a better living, mm -hmm. and I can get it from them. It's it's frightening. It's terrifying. It's an attack. It's a it's a it's a different psychological. It's a very different psychological process, and and I think more addictive in many ways. Well, one of the things you talk about is um, what, what people call the, you know, the gamification 
of conspiracy theory where QAnon became this fun online multiplayer game. Yes. And, you know, I think like the, the structure of the Internet, just in terms of the need for something new, new content, more content, um, right, just keeps, keeps people coming back. And you talked about like how, how fun it is, how fun it was for you in a cabin to keep getting caught up just because it's, it's like, you know, like really good Netflix content. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you think about, even if you think about your, your description about obsessive compulsive disorder, um, there is something about a, an incentive structure, right? That you're basically saying, I am getting points. Like if you, if you want to take this language, I feel bad about something. I'm accumulating power. I'm getting points. So I'm building, uh, I'm building something. And, and if you think about those misbeliefs as a, as a, as a mood regulator, um, that's, that's what they do. So you wake up in the morning and you're stressed and you're worried and, and so on and you do something. And then you need some comfort. And what is the form of the comfort? The form of a comfort is to say, it's not me. Uh, the world is not working well. Um, uh, I'm not feeling well. My job is at risk. Other people are not. By the way, if you're very happy, healthy, and successful, you're not going to develop a conspiracy. If you, if you, if you feel happy, healthy, and successful, you would not believe it. You would not develop it. You would need to feel that something is going awry. And then, and then in the short term, you say something is going awry. I don't feel good about this. Let me find somebody else to blame. Let me find a story and a villain and feeling in control and a complex story and so on. And in short term, you feel a slight increase in quality of life. Why? Whew, I don't need to worry. It's not me. It's them, <laughs> whoever it is. So you feel slight increase. It's, it's the people on the right. It's the people on the left. It's the, it's the vegan. It's the carnivore. It's the whatever it is. And, and there's a slight increase in quality of life. But, but at the same time that you feel it's not my fault, it's them, now you've added to your background belief about the power of the forces of evil. And now long-term, even though you have a short-term increase, long-term you feel worse. Because the next day when you wake up, you say, oh my goodness, there's even more evil than I thought yesterday. Hmm. But you said, what did I do yesterday? I looked for a video about whoever it is. So it's, it's kind of a short-term relief followed by long-term deterioration, short-term relief followed by long-term deterioration until, until people get addicted to it. And, and by the way, I got addicted to that as well. There is something oddly reassuring about, about these statements about here is how the world works. You don't need to worry. There's no ambiguity. It's all in control. It's not in your control. Somebody else control. It's not in control, but 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 it's understandable. It's it's within your reach, and it's not your fault. It's somebody else, and 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 so on, and very easy to get addicted to it. I um, I watched and listened to so much of it. By the way, here's an exercise: try to take one of those networks. Think Alex Jones. And listen for an hour a month. Now, I'm not really recommending it, but, but listen for an hour a month. And I promise you that a month later, you would be a slightly different person. 
Hmm. You know, people use the term misinformation. I don't think misinformation is a good term. I think we should use corrosive information. You hear the fighter planes in the background. Uh, they're not coming back from the, from the north. Hmm. Um, the, the, the right term is corrosive information because after a month of listening to this, you will be a slightly different person. You will have a slightly different language and slightly mm-hmm. different understanding, and you would look at things in a, different, in a different way. So I'm not really recommending it because I don't think people should change that way. But, but if you're curious, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is, it, is, it is deeply changing. It's amazing how we change yeah. it. So at, at what point, and I know this, is, this isn't at least what you talked about in the book, that I've, the parts that I've read so far, but at what point do you... Um, do you say that there are evil people here? Like, uh, presumably Alex Jones and his team who are making things up yeah. don't believe what they're saying. Or some, some, you know, or Steve Bannon or, or people who are clearly saying, like, okay, I have an agenda and I can, I can manipulate my, through my understanding of psychology. I can manipulate millions and maybe billions of people to achieve my agenda. Like, is there, yeah. it, do we extend coherence and empathy to them as well? So, so we are now uh, in the middle of October. Uh, last month was the Day of Atonement, and uh, and and during the the Day of Atonement, this was one of the questions I uh, decided to to think about. My mm-hmm. my general disposition is to believe that human nature is generally good. And that when we see bad things, it's an outcome of mistakes, stupidity, um, all kinds of things, but not evil. At least not on mass, right? I'm not saying that there's nobody, but my, my belief has always been that human nature is inherently good. Bad things happen, but it's not because people are bad. It's because, you know, things get interpreted. In the same way that we said, you know, a cookie was not designed for the obesity epidemic, it was just the easiest path to get people to eat more cookies. Um, and recently, there's more and more data, in, and including my own experiences, that make it hard to, to feel this way. And my, um, I kind of debated that, that question for, for the day of, of whether I want to update my belief about that. And then um, uh, recently, of course, we had this terrible attack in, in Israel of the Hamas. And uh, I don't know how much you've watched, but the, the brutality has been uh, hard to describe. Yeah. Uh, I have friends who are, you know, in all kinds of positions uh, and were exposed to lots of the bodies. And, and what, what they describe is just hard to believe. If you think about any kind of brutality that, that you can imagine in your worst nightmares, it was there. Um, uh, pregnant women that were cut open uh, and their babies put out while they were alive. Uh, parents who were forced to watch their kids getting tortured and the other, I mean, just the, the list, I like, like really anything you can imagine in your worst nightmares was, was there. Um, um, and 
and and I'm forced to. It's a little too early, but but you know I I'm rethinking what does that mean? What does that mean? Because you know even when I thought in the day of atonement there was some evil, I could say okay maybe it's a few people. <clears throat> so you know make mm-hmm. your list of top five. But but all of a sudden this was a large group, very large group, supported by lots of people. <clears throat> After the war started, I tried to make my way to Israel and uh, I got stuck in England. Flight was canceled. I, I got stuck in England for a few days. And I got to be there on the day there was um, an anti, a pro-Palestinian anti-Israel demonstration. And there was this huge demonstration, tons of people. Um, and, you know, demonstrating pro-Palestinian in regular day, it's one thing. Demonstrating just a few days after this brutal attack, that's not a demonstration of pro-Palestinian anti-Israel. That's a demonstration of pro-Hamas, pro these mm-hmm. brutal, horrific killings. And And people were chanting things, like they were chanting... Uh, liberate Palestine, perfectly fine discussion to have, from the river to the sea. Now, the moment you say from the river to the sea, now you're talking Hamas terminology of eradicating Israel, right? You're talking getting rid of all the Israelis who are between the the Jordan River and, and the sea. And there were Palestinians and there were Arabs and there were European-looking uh, people from all kinds of walks in life. Um, and, and, you know, this is for me... I, I can have discussions about the, the Palestinian right for autonomy and the complexity of it and so on. Very happy to have these discussions. But the moment somebody is willing to endorse this level of brutality... Um, not just not condemn it. I, I think every human being should condemn it. But the moment people don't condemn it, that they they're on the side of that violence, I this this shakes me to the core, right? I can I can imagine one person. So you know, pick your person. I imagine five. I imagine ten. You talk about a big group of Hamas terrorists. Very hard. You're talking about even a larger group of people, much, much larger group of people who are supporting them. Now, there's something very fundamental. You know, I, I, started, I started this journey on trying to understand misbelief because of what was happening to me and, and, and so on. But, but what's happening now, I feel that that maybe my next calling is to understand hate. Hmm. You know, because, because that's just, like, you know, think about what, what somebody needs in order to be able to, to execute this brutality. And think about what somebody needs to support that brutality. Um, so, so I don't know if we live in a very different world than we lived 50 years ago. I don't know if the um, tribalism and us versus them 
has just gone so strong that it overpowers everything. I don't know if we live in a world that, that hate now is, is, is okay. I, I really don't understand it. But, but there is something that, that I think is just awful. Look, uh, I, I know I'm kind of just riffing off, but I, I think that, that we are born with a potential. Let's say we're born with a potential to go somewhere between being loving to, to being hateful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think somehow the, the pressures of society are moving us toward the, the hateful thing. I'm still not sure that people are born this way. I don't think so. But there's something in our society, something in the structure that is moving to- people toward this level of hate that I, I didn't even know could exist. I, it's hard, hard to imagine it existing, but, but it exists. It exists. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, you, you, you know, you've talked about sort of base rate of, of experience and, you know, and, and what you're, and like my mother and I had very different base rates for what human beings were like. She was a child in Vienna who had to escape the Nazis. And I grew up yep. in suburban New Jersey and I was frankly embarrassed by how how much anti-Semitism she saw in the world and how scared she was. And it really felt like that was, you know, I mean, the Holocaust ended 20 years before I was born. But when, you know, when you're a little kid, that's like ancient history. Like it did, it didn't occur to me how how present like the Holocaust was as present for her the day I was born as 9-11 is to Americans today. Yeah. And, and to see it kind of coming back. And I was, I I studied history, right? Like intellectually, I know that things go around, come around. And yet this week has been more shocking to me. Not, it's not shocking to me that Hamas does what it does. It's not shocking to me that, that armies of child, child soldiers in Africa do what they do. What was shocking to me was the people that I have identified with as the progressive left who are interested in the betterment of all people. Knee jerk, put it in context and said, well, you know, Israel has been this and that and oppressing. And and I don't I can't even explain why that and I, I know there yeah. are explanations, but for me, it's, it's you know what yeah. I'm saying? It's just, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm adrift. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Uh, so, so in, in the book, I know we talk about kind of multiple topics, but in the book, I, I, I talk a little bit about the cognitive elements. And um, uh, one of the, the questions we use to think about the cognitive element is to say to people, what would it take to change your mind? And, and it's a, actually a very, very useful question. Well, you basically mm. say to yourself, let me think about some of my deep, deeply held belief and what would it take to change my mind about those things? And, and if, if this level of brutality did not get people to change their mind about Hamas, I'm not saying about the Palestinians, the, the Palestinians are not connected uh, to this, but if this did not get people 
to change their opinions about Hamas, then then what would? Mm. Right? You you I, I think I think that it's impossible to say no, the world is just the same as it was on Friday. I have not updated my beliefs. And and the moment you do this, and that's one thing. The second thing is I think that people don't understand is the connection of this attack to the Holocaust. And of course, they're not connected in any historical sense. But 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 the Holocaust, as you described your mother, um, the Holocaust is a perspective from which people view the rest of their lives. And all Holocaust survivors um, have it. Many of the kids of Holocaust survivors have it. Many of the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors have it. It's a, it's a perspective from which you look at the rest of life. Um, and, and part of the story is, is basically being brutally murdered is, is part of the story. And, and when it repeats, there's no way but to look at it from those same lens. We thought that if we would only have our own country, the Holocaust will never happen again. This mm. brutality, these brutality, these brutal murders, will, we have our own countries and it's still happening again. And there's a, there's a level of helplessness about this. And again, this is ending up being a discussion about, about hate and not about misbelief, but... The, you know, my, my initial experience with, with misbelief was about being hated. Here mm. are people who don't know me, don't understand me, don't, if they only knew what I was doing, they would say thank you. But instead, they really hate me. In fact, the way that they are saying it, they are willing to risk life in prison just for the privilege of, of getting, getting rid of me, that level of hate. Now, they just said it, they didn't really do it, but this was a particular type of level of hate. I think all Israelis and all Jewish people now feel hated, right? Just by belonging to this group of being Israelis or, or being Jewish without any acknowledgement about your value as a human being, whatever you do and so on, that element is sufficiently to hate you to such a degree that somebody is willing to risk their life just to get rid of you. And, and get rid of you in a brutal way uh, is, even, is even better. That's, that's just a, um, somebody who is not a part of those two groups have a very hard time understanding what does it feel like to walk around and saying there is this level of hate uh, directed toward me, I did not do anything to earn it. In fact, <laughs> I think I'm a wonderful, kind a human being who's just waking up in the morning and thinking about how to contribute to everybody. And nevertheless, there are people who are willing to die for the sole purpose of me ceasing to exist. What, what, is, this, what, what is this feeling? How do, we, how do we understand it? How do we, how do we keep on living with this, with this terrible, terrible feeling? Yeah, and I and I do think that the misbel misbelief and hate are very closely 
connected, you know, at least from, from my perspective, and I've been reading people talk, you know, over the past several months that he's um, like Yair Rosenberg of the, of the Atlantic writes that like all conspiracy theories end up with the Jews. Right. Like you, you, know, you start you start with QAnon and it ends up with space lasers. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I don't know what is it about us that is so such an easy target. But, you know, I, I think it's an easy I think it's an easy target. And. Um, and, and we're not we're not really fighting back. Um, you know, look, um, when, when there was this, these cartoons that were depicting important Islamic figures in, a, in an offensive way to, to Muslims, uh, there were tremendous demonstrations. They were brutal, they were violent, they were destructive, and, and, and so on. And, and this kind of a reaction helps to stop something. Hmm. When was the last time that a Jewish group reacted so negatively to a, an anti-Semite joke that they went and broke windows or um, demolished uh, something? Yeah. Um, we, we end up being the, the kid, we, we laugh at ourselves, Right? We laugh at ourselves, we, we allow, we allow self-deprecating humor, um, we, we create some of it our own. Uh, we are kind of the, um, the, the kid, the kid that is the easiest to bully because, because we, we make fun of ourselves. Mm. Versus, versus if you look, like you remember in, in Denmark, there was this, um, you know, anti-Muslim cartoon and Muslim countries said, we're not buying Danish products anymore. Right? Yeah. It was like, okay, you know, we're serious. And, and, you know, we can argue whether they're right or whether they're wrong, but it's very effective. Like the, the tool of deterrence is very, very powerful. And we, we are just have never done that. You know, maybe a little bit, like people say, oh, you know, uh, please don't say it again. Please say sorry. But, mm -hmm. but, um, and, and I don't know what, what is it about us that we, <laughs> uh, that we're understanding. Maybe it's the same well, thing about me, right? Trying to understand the misbelievers. <laughs> well, I remember reading a, a book in the 90s called uh, Power and Powerlessness in Jewish History. And, you know, like it was much, it was much more comfortable for me to be to have the narrative like we're the ones without power, than to look at the state of Israel and say like you know they're not taking shit, and yeah. you know we can argue about you know the the long term effects of what I think is oppression of, of people within the borders, um, but the point is like when when Jews exert power. Um, it's not well received, and I, maybe that's different from this, like the '60s. We know when you know yeah. Israel was sort of a hero of some, you know, some liberal narratives. 
Um, yeah. So, so let's. I, I, we we have to end soon, but let let me end on a positive yeah. note about Israel at least. So, I came to Israel a few days ago, and you know it's complex. Uh, sirens show up from time to time. I have to go to the doorway or hide uh, somewhere, or if I'm on the street, I have to lay on the ground. And uh, there there are people that I know that uh, died. Somebody that I know has been is a hostage. Uh, for, for people I know are in, still in hospital. It's 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 very tough. But two things are worthwhile noting. One is that the amount of Israelis trying to come back to Israel to help is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the number of people who are uh, are helping out is incredible. In fact, anybody you talk to is busy with how can we help. So I spent a day in, in um, uh, one of the hospitals here trying to figure out how do we help the trauma victims. Uh, clearly, there are going to be many. There are already many, but there'll be many more. And with the hostages, there'll be not us, just the hostages, but their families. And you can just imagine how that would play out. Um, everybody is stopping everything and just trying to help. And it's, uh, it's incredibly uplifting. What, mm. what other countries, what other countries would people hear that there's a war in the South, uh, go to their home, take a weapon, uh, go to their base, get the weapon and just drive to where the war is. Uh, how many people would, would just say, what can we do to help? Um, uh, restaurants are making food and sending them. People are driving. I mean, just, just incredible. The, 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 the willingness to act and help and so on is, is, I mean, there's lots of terrible things and sad things and so on, but it's mm. really, it's really quite uplifting to see that as well. Hmm. All right. Well, let's let let us end there on that note. Um, um, Dan, thank you so much. First of all, you know you're 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 the person I tend to think about in my mind. If if not turn to, I, I don't know if you remember, I called you the day after the presidential election in 2016, crying yes. over Trump. Yeah. And you know that you you bring a level of understanding and positive energy that I think the world really needs. And I really thank you for this, this, you know, this unflinching look at what's happened to, to tear so much of us apart and to give us tools so that we, you know, we, we not only have, have a narrative, but we can start taking back power. So the book is Misbelief, What Makes Rational People Believe Irrational Things. And quickly, if people want to follow you and hear more from you, how can they do that? My website is the best uh, place, uh, com. Great, and I'll put that in the show notes. Dan, thank you so much. Again, be safe. Lots of love thank you. to you and to everyone. And uh, we'll talk again soon. I hope so. Talk again soon. Bye. And that's a wrap. The show notes from today's episode are at plantyourself.com slash five seven. Five. Right, things have gotten a bit chilly here in south of Barcelona, Spain, like, you know, 10, 11, 12 degrees centigrade. So, um, you know, 50s <laughs> during the day going down sometimes to the 40s 
at night. Um, this has made it easier for me to do harder workouts. So with my trainer, Jay, I'm doing a lot of beach sprinting. He's setting up cones. I run like crazy. When I reach a cone, he yells for me to cut in one direction or another. I'm sure I look hilarious, um, but I feel like I'm getting better. And yesterday I went to a, uh, a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour beach practice for Bravas, the team that I'm playing with, and did pretty good. I, there was only a couple of times where I just felt like falling onto my face and not moving again. Um, usually that happens more during a, a, a beach practice. But feel, feeling pretty good. Um, decided to eliminate sugar from my diet. Kind of had kind of been slipping in over the holiday season, and um, it feels good. I feel like my back is uh, is happy about that. I got some X-rays done, and it seems like I have some arthritis and some slight fusion uh, of the uh, the sacrum and the lumbar spine. And all in all, um, as my friend Rafi said, for someone my age, living on the earth as long as I have, it doesn't look that bad. So that said, I got the x-rays for a new type of chiropractic I'm trying out. Uh, Jay is, in, is encouraging me to do some stretching each morning to kind of limber up and uh, loosen the low back and the legs. And so we'll see where that all goes. So um, be back next week with another edition of the Plant Yourself podcast. And until then, as always... Be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Reidenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willreidenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkinovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzet, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chali, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bicorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.